Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not Islam is violent, and we are starting right now with AP's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, AP. The floor is all yours. Uh, thank you so much, James, for arranging this. Uh, thank you, Isa, for um, the debate offer. Uh, I want to start immediately uh, with a slide and share my screen here, uh, just to make sure it goes perfectly well. Right. I believe you can you can see it now. Yes, yep. you can see it now. I see it too. So um, today we want to talk about whether Islam is uh, violent. I want to start with um, with the uh, Muslim attitude toward uh, non-Muslims toward disbelievers. So here is a study conducted by the uh, by the ADL uh, called ADL Global One Hundred. Um, it's this gives this gives a very uh, simple picture, a very simple overview of how people in different countries view different religious groups. Uh, you can see here, uh, on the left side, you have Indonesia, Egypt, Turkey, Morocco, Jordan, Kazakhstan, Bangladesh, Qatar, uh, and, and below that, all the other countries. In these Muslim countries, you can see that uh, Jews are vastly viewed unfavorably. Um, Christians are viewed favorably and unfavorably in different regions, whereas in the these other countries, which happen to be non-Muslim countries, uh, people don't generally have terrible views about others, except that in Germany, I guess something something slipped here. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, so you, you would be surprised that uh, Muslim countries uh, seem to be kind of unique in the way that they don't really have a very uh, good attitude and very good view of uh, other religious groups, specifically uh, Jews. Um, this is not due to uh, historical or uh, political or current events and influences. These attitudes uh, come directly from Islamic scripture uh, and Islamic beliefs. And I want to start uh, give, to give an example um, with this hadith here. Hadiths are... Um, 
traditions, reports, which uh, according to Islamic tradition and belief, according to Islamic studies, were uh, delivered by Muslim followers um, and spoken by Muhammad. So somebody witnessed what Muhammad said, uh, then transmitted it to others, who then later wrote it down. According to uh, those traditions, Muhammad said in one very infamous hadith, which um, almost every Muslim in the world knows. And I've heard this, I heard this a lot when I grew up as a Muslim. I heard that we are supposed to fight and kill the Jews in the future. Uh, this hadith says, here Muhammad says, the last hour would not come unless the Muslims will fight against the Jews and the Muslims would kill them until the Jews would hide themselves behind a stone or a tree and a stone or a tree would say, Muslim or servant of Allah, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill him. But the tree Gargat would not say, for it is the tree of the Jews. This is talking about a, a mythical, weird, magical tree uh, and a, a future uh, which Muslims are promised, where stones and uh, trees tell the Muslims to come and kill the Jews in order to uh, finally get rid of them. Uh, and this is very well known around the Muslim world. I learned as a, as a, as a child when I was in first grade that this is uh, the future, that this will come in an unforeseeable future, that this, would co that, that this could come in our time. And I learned that, um, that this will definitely happen, that the Muslims will definitely fight and kill uh, those Jews before the end. Uh, and that was just a brief introduction. I want to get to um, some more sources when it comes to the Quran and the Hadith. Uh, when we talk about Islam, we have uh, topics ranging from violence, war, jihad, civil war, hate, intolerance, human rights, women's rights, terrorism, virgins uh, in heaven, child marriage, uh, and things like that. Uh, it, is, it is interesting that when we talk about Islam, we tend to talk about some very problematic things. And Islam is very unique in the way that, um, that we always have to talk about some very disturbing uh, moral issues uh, and violence and hate. Uh, I'm an ex-Muslim. I left Islam. Uh, some of my, most of my activism is motivated by that because as an ex-Muslim, we are shunned, rejected, driven out. We are uh, threatened constantly. We are killed, persecuted, and leaving Islam is basically social suicide because Islam is supposed to be a um, a unity which you are not meant to leave. And if you leave it, then you are you are considered a traitor. That's how it was in Islamic um, history, and that's how it still is today. Uh, this again comes from the scriptures of Islam itself. The Quran says. Um, the Quran initially approaches the disbelievers in a rather um, peaceful way uh, and, and tells them, for example, in Quran chapter 60, verse 8, that Allah does not forbid you from being just and righteous toward those who do not fight you, which means um, this is often presented by Muslims as if it was a very peaceful verse, a verse which commands peace. But it's not really a, a verse that commands peace. It's just a verse which says that you don't have to fight those disbelievers who don't fight you. But the attitude uh, changes throughout the Quran toward disbelievers. Uh, when it comes to... So, when we, when we talk about the Quran, it has to be remembered that the Quran is considered the perfect word of Allah, word for word, verbatim in Islam. So in the Islamic belief, Allah um, reveals the Quran, which is uh, permanent and uh, which, which precedes humanity. Uh, he reveals that through an angel to Muhammad, who then... Um, 
recites the Quran to her, to the people around him who then write it down or memorize it. So every single word in the book is considered the word of Allah and it is supposed to be uh, directly the law. Uh, nothing in the Quran can be questioned. Uh, and when it, when it comes to the Quran, in this book, the Almighty God, Allah, who is in charge of everything, tells you that those who disbelieve for them is a great punishment. Uh, they deceive Allah. They are deaf, dumb, and blind. In their heart is disease. Most of the Quran deals with disbelievers, hypocrites, punishment, hell, and war, instead of dealing with uh, guiding humanity and you know giving you giving us a very uh, useful and peaceful and productive message. Uh, the Quran says further in in chapter eight, verse fifty-five, that the worst of living creatures in the sight of Allah are those who have disbelieved. Yes, this is an actual Quran verse. It says in 98 verse 6 that those who disbelieved among the people of the scripture, meaning Jews and Christians, because they believed in, uh, they have they have books, and the polytheists, those are the worst of creatures. So basically, uh, all those who do not accept Islam are, in the sight of Allah, the worst of creatures. They are less than dogs, less than cattle, less than anything that exists out there. Uh, it even further says in 7 uh, verse 179 that they are like cattle, rather they are more astray. Um, when it comes to Muhammad again, and uh, the things that Muhammad said and commanded, here we have a report, Sahih Bukhari, where Muhammad uh, explicitly says that whoever changes his religion should be killed. And based on these words and based on this tradition, Islamic scholars throughout history have ruled that uh, whoever leaves Islam should be executed. And then they have differed on uh, how exactly it should be done, whether the person who leaves should be given a uh, chance to repent, uh, and whether repentance can be accepted or not, depending on what the person has done, whether it's a woman or a, or, or a man and so on. But the general ruling is kill them. And then, of course, the, the methods and what to do exactly can be, can be discussed. The Quran's impact on how Muslims feel about others are seen everywhere. In Quran chapter 5, verse 51, it says, O you who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as friends. They are friends of one another. Whoever befriends them is one of them. It has this constant attitude of, of, of hostility. And uh, here is just an image from uh, Turkey, where I lived for over a decade, where uh, you can see at a bus stop at a bus station a religious message which cites this very Quran verse in order to uh, caution Turkish Muslims and to say do not befriend the Western people, do not befriend the Christians and the Jews because Allah tells us that we are not supposed to befriend them. Allah tells us that they are your enemies. The Quran specifies further in uh, chapter 9 verse 30 uh, that uh, it, it first says that Jews say Ezra is the son of Allah, which may be very confusing to a lot of people who understand Judaism because no Jew actually says such a thing. This seems to be um, ignorance on the Quran's behalf. And it further says, and the Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah, which could be acceptable. It says, may Allah destroy them. How deluded are they? Uh, and further, in Quran chapter 9, verse 29, which comes actually right before this verse, it says, fight those who do not believe in Allah or in the last day and who do not consider unlawful what Allah and his messenger have made unlawful until they give the jizya, which is protection money, willingly while they are humbled. And in accordance with these verses, Muslims are supposed to establish a, a system where Muslims rule 
and the disbelievers are second-class citizens who are uh, who have to pay protection money and be protected by the Muslims. If they fail to pay this, then they are fair game. This was recently installed by ISIS once again. Since uh, the caliphate has been has been uh, abolished in the early 20th century, they came and uh, started implementing this practice once again, but they didn't really uh, gain much acceptance around the world. So thirty seconds left. I want to uh, quickly uh, cite one more thing here, which is uh, Ibn Khaldun, who is one of the first uh, historians in Muslim history. He says in his book, Muqaddimah, in the Muslim community, the holy war is a religious duty because of the universalism of the mission uh, to convert everybody to Islam, either by persuasion or by force. Therefore, caliphate and royal authority are united so that the person in charge can devote the available strength to both of them, uh, religion and politics at the same time. The other religions groups did not have a universal mission and the whole Holy war was not a religious duty to them. And this is one of the most respected people in Islamic history when it comes to and time. History. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opening. We are going to kick it over to Isa for his opening as well. I want to say, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, don't forget it, that subscribe button. We have many more debates coming up. You don't want to miss them, so hit subscribe right now so you don't. With that, thanks, Isa, for being with us. The floor is all yours. Assalamu alaikum, shalom alaikum, pax, namaste, peace and blessings to everybody who's in the audience today. Um, so, um, we are having a deep conversation about, is Islam violent? I'm taking the position that Islam is not violent. So, we're going to begin with the first topic. So, what's a Muslim, what is Islam and what is a Muslim? Pardon my interruption, I'll give you the time back. I just didn't notice this when we did the sound test earlier. If your mic is scraping against your hoodie or any anything like a beard or anything like that, I just want to check in just because there's a little bit of feedback audio-wise. Oh, I don't care about the time. I'm good because it's not going to be that long. Um, I think, is it good now? I heard is it a it little scraping? bit there as you were speaking, but I think it's gotten better. Is that good? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So what is Islam and what is a Muslim? This is the first thing we kind of need to define terms. What are, what is going on here? What is this? This is such a large group of people. It's the second biggest religion in the world. So we got to think about what this means. So Islam means complete submission to Allah. This might sound a little negative, but we have to think about that. What does submission mean? It could be submission through peace. It could be submission through love. Um, people who are devout in their spiritualities are submitted to that. So, also Islam does mean peace. It means both submission and it means peace. So we have to understand that. If Islam is truly a violent and terrifying religion, why come from the root word salama, peace? Why have this? This is something to consider and to think about. So let's look at the Quran. It's actually interesting we, to think about this. In general, it's, there are going to be violent verses that we have to engage. However, if the, the Quran and Islam was absolutely violent and absolutely negative, why would there be anything peaceful? Shouldn't it just be extremely violent? Shouldn't it be extremely tumultuous? Shouldn't it be extremely 
uh, a space filled with anger and uh, and rage. Why have any of these verses that even suggest peace? If the Islam and the Quran were violent, there shouldn't be anything like this here. So I think this is an important thing to consider. So we can see that several of these verses say, and um, they can be engaged in different ways, but we can see that these are spaces where we can see peace. And talking about feeding the orphan, feeding the uh, the people who are uh, disenfranchised, this is an important thing to consider when we're looking at Islam. If Islam is terrible, if it's awful, these things wouldn't be there. And talking about kind of self-defense as well. So this is an important question to ask. In this debate, we're talking about violence. What even is violence? So taking a Merriam-Webster de uh, definition, violence is marked by the use of a usually harmful or destructive physical force. So if Islam was like this, why wouldn't Islam just destroy everyone? Why even taking the most uncharitable position of saying, you know, of subjugation, that's not how Muslims would take this position, but um, with the dhimmi status, why even have a dhimmi? Why not just obliterate or force convert everyone? I think this is something to, to consider. So this is important. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is an old saying. You don't want to just say, hey, well, there's negative things here, so everything is bad. There is, Of course, we have to grant that there's negativity in all different kinds of religions and spiritualities. This is an important thing to consider. That doesn't make the community violent. It doesn't make the teaching in and of itself violent. So these are things that we need to consider when looking at this. This is another important thing, the no true Scotsman fallacy. This is something that we do all the time when we think about stuff. We generalize and say, well, look at all these negative things. There's 72 versions. There's all of this like horrible stuff. Look at all the modern day violence. It's really, really terrible. However, we're not looking at all the variables that might be going on in these countries and the disenfranchisement, colonization, all of these things engage within these spaces. So can we say that Islam is solely to be engaged with violence or within certain elements of that maybe you know, hostile, I think it's an important thing to do. So we don't want to throw everything out. We don't want to generalize and we don't want to just say, hey, this is what it is. And it's important that we have to understand that Islam is not monolithic. There's not just one understanding of Islam. I think this is the biggest difficulty we have with this, this topic of Islam is violent. We consider that we're like, well, Islam is a bunch of Arab people who look like this and they go around and they take swords and cut people's heads off. This is a thing that we see on uh, TV shows like 24 and other kinds of programs that promote this kind of narrative. Is this the case or is there many different kinds of perspectives within Islam? I think that's an important thing that we have to consider if we're going to say Islam is violent. We would have to say all of Islam is violent. All these people are violent. We would have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I don't think that that's fair. Okay, so if Islam is just this terrible, violent, horrible religion, how could there be any progress? Why would there be any scientific advancements? Yes, you might see in the Muslim community that they'll say, we've created everything. That may not really be true. It's more like there was a, uh, just like how all cultures, you know, collaborate through globalization. You know, Muslims had 
things to offer. Christians had things to offer. Jews had things to offer. Everybody, you know, non-theists, um, Buddhists, everybody had something to offer in the space. So did Muslims. We could see Al-Khwarizmi developed algebra. We could see things like Damascus steel, surgical tools. We could see preservation of Greek manuscripts and, you know, even advancements in medical care. This is important to consider and to think about. If Islam is just this barbaric, evil religion that just wants to destroy everyone and everything, these things wouldn't occur. Why would Muslims even care about Greek philosophy? Why would they even consider these Greeks weren't Muslim? They weren't Jewish. They weren't Israelites and they weren't al-Nasrah. They weren't um, the helpers. And, you know, some translate that as Christians as well. Okay. So this is another kind of fun thing to consider when we're thinking about Islam. If Islam was just bereft of anything, it's just this violent, terrible thing. Why would you know, non-Muslim writers even incorporate their ideas. We can look at the Arabian Nights. We see it all over, the 1001 Arabian Nights. Yes, there's a lot of problematic elements of that story in this day and age, even the beginning of with Shahrazad. It's a very complex narrative. But this pop culture, this, this narrative is so important within our culture. It's so important within our understanding of humanity. So it's like, and it's not just like barbaric, violent stories. There, there is some violence in them, like, you know, Hans Christian Andersen. We'll definitely see that, too. But that's important to think about. We also have um, Dune, which is a series science fiction. A lot of science fiction has Islamic fusion, usually Islam fused with Buddhism, um, Tasawwuf Sufism uh, fused with Buddhism. Um, you see it with Dune. You have the Zen Sunnis, the Zen Shias. They're not. They're considered very sophisticated, noble beings, you know, within the world of Dune. So a lot of these figures don't see Islam as this terrible, terrifying thing. Um, and we can look at Star Wars. Look at the Jedi's. They're wearing North African robes. They are using the philosophy that George Lucas, Mr. Lucas, is implementing within it is coming out of Sufism and fused with Buddhism. So this is an important thing to to acknowledge as well. Now. And this is the final topic. It's interesting thinking about dimmies. Like people, I'm going to take. I wanted to take the things that may not be charitable to my position. Things like dimmies. This is a very complex thing. Why would you have this kind of system? However, it's important to consider if you know this. Uh, if Muslims were just these violent barbarians, there wouldn't be dimmies. There wouldn't be a dimmy at all. There wouldn't be a situation where this situation happened, where uh, non-Muslims would have a place. They did pay taxes. And they, I don't, their lives were not, they weren't perfect, but they weren't the worst thing ever. And that's something that we have to consider. If Islam is violent, this system would be in place. The Millet system was uh, used by the Ottoman Empire, and it's actually used by Israel now, too. So it's an important thing to consider. The Millet system is the system where each uh, uh, a spiritual ethnic group would go to their kind of space. So like Jews would go to Jewish school, Muslims go to, you know, Muslim school, Christians go to Christian school. There wouldn't be any justice system. There wouldn't be fiqh. There wouldn't be jurisprudence. Why have any of that stuff? If Islam is just this terribly violent barbarian religion, there wouldn't be even any spaces of coexistence. And there are Muslims who do coexist with non-Muslims in many different spaces. So uh, South Asia is a perfect example of that. Um, there wouldn't be ijma, that's like a consensus, and there wouldn't be ijtihad. It would just be a monolithic fascist dictatorship that we would see in 1984. If Islam is this terrible thing and it's really violent and wants to destroy everything, I think that these are the things that we would see. I'm going to definitely grant that we're, there's definitely difficult things that we're going to see within Islam. There's no doubt about it. And I think what I would like to encourage the audience to consider is 
Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opening. I want to let you know, folks, here at Modern Day Debate, we are both a YouTube channel and a podcast. If you have not already, find Modern Day Debate at your favorite podcast app, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Find Modern Day Debate right now so you can listen to debates on the go. And as a quick side note, because sometimes people get a little confused about this, on the bottom right of the screen, you can see a thumbnail that says this is already and exclusively on our podcast. Sometimes we will put up an event and it'll say in the title that this debate has already happened and it's already on the podcast and only on the podcast. And some people still get confused because even though it's in the title, some people just see the, wow, it's it's set for, for 12 months out. Why are you putting this on your channel when it's 12 months away? This is way too early. And so even though it says on the title and the thumbnail that the debate is already and only on the podcast, some people still get really confused by that. So I just want to let folks know we're not trying to fool anybody. Frankly, it's just our way of trying to let people know that there is a podcast, which by the way, is 100% ad free. So check it out. Download those debates. You can listen to them when you don't have service, whatever else. But with that, thank you very much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours for Open Dialogue. So I want to uh, quickly address some of the things that you, that you said. Um, I feel like everything you said just uh, requires very, very short responses. Now, one of the main points that you uh, brought up throughout the discussion was if Islam is a violent religion, then why is there why is there so much peace in it? Or why is there peace in it at all? Why is it not entirely destructive? I find that a very strange thing to say in, in defense of Islam because... If you if you read Mein Kampf by Hitler, you will notice that it has a lot of elements of uh, of peace in it and a lot of elements of unity, and of establishing a successful peaceful society and this and that, which, however, does not uh, does not get rid of the fact that it also has some really really messed up stuff in it. The Nazis said a lot of peaceful things and wanted to make a lot of pro similarly communist regimes had a lot of promises of uh, equality and tranquility and peace and all of that while brutally um, violating and subjugating populations. So uh, that doesn't really make sense. I mean of course Islam uh, if it is adopted by people has to create a community and uh, has to provide for that community even though it is intolerant toward the others. Um, totally, I totally hear that and I understand that. I think that the issue is, this is kind of a human condition type of situation. People can be tribalistic, people can be violent, people can implement these kind of spaces of toxicity, and you're correct, in places like extreme fascism like uh, Nazi Germany, as well as, uh, you know, the so-called socialist kind of revolution, the, these kind of these spaces where we see like Stalinism. Um, I think that it, that's totally fair. And I think this is a human problem where humans want to be better than other humans. I don't think this is specifically an Islam problem. Do I think Muslims do it? Of course. And I want to say one thing to you. I totally think this issue with like ex-Muslims, Mortad, I think it's extremely problematic to say, you know, we're going to go and execute people. I think this is insanity, personally. And I think, and I understand that there can be a textual space that you can find that. But there are a lot of Muslims who don't believe in that either. And I think it just depends on how you read the text and how you, you know, view it. So I think that's an important thing to consider. Yeah, but, the, but the issue is... Um... 
you are right. It is a human condition, and you are right. Uh, humans try to uh, strive for community, for something better, um, and they end up doing some terrible things. We even have the whole phenomenon of, of um, something that is very well known in history, that uh, whenever populations create a huge movement and overthrow an oppressive regime, uh, very frequently they quickly begin uh, oppressing the very people that they overthrew and also oppressing their own population. This happened a lot throughout history, even through the French Revolution, which is a, a revolution that is greatly admired. Uh, throughout history, this happened all the time. I agree with that, but that's the problem. Islam uh, is, if you let go of the idea that it is a, a true belief, which comes from the Almighty Creator, from the Almighty God, it is merely an idea that was presented by uh, people in the seventh century who did not know better, who had mostly their self-interest as a group in mind, and who, uh, if they sensed uh, threats or, you know, or, 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 or rejection from others, were hostile toward them. Like, why don't we talk about, uh, about why these things emerge and why these things found their place in the Quran, like texts which say that you are supposed to fight the disbelievers until they, um, until they are humiliated and they pay, pay protection money or I don't know that that they are that the polytheists are filthy and should not approach the Kaaba and things like that. Yeah, I definitely think it's problematic. And I think we definitely have to take historical context. This is important. These people lived in a historical context. We're definitely when you read the Quran, you're definitely gonna see that imagery. Like that's just the way it is. And I think it is a difficult space when people are like, well, it's timeless. <sighs> You can take a spiritual narrative and make it timeless, but if you're taking it just literally, it, it's definitely contextual to the time, and and it has to be read that way if we're going to read it literally. So you don't believe that the Quran is um, is exactly in everything that it says uh, timelessly, um, commanding people to do precisely what it tells you to do when you read it. Well. I, I think it really can only work within like a spiritual experience. I don't like if you're. A spiritual observant and you're saying this is some kind of cosmos within yes but if you're trying to put it on a literal literalist it's impossible you i, I could never argue that no then i then you don't really share the beliefs of most muslims around the world because most muslims would say that, that the quran is uh authoritative for all times it is timeless everything it says applies at all times the sunnah must be followed which is why we have people in our time who uh who still say that uh, that the time will eventually come when the caliphate will, will be once again established and people will be commanded to join islam and those who leave will be executed and things like that so you don't really agree with the mainstream or with the traditional islamic stances i guess I think we have to understand how the mainstream Islamic movement is now. It's not necessarily equivalent to the traditional Islamic movement. A lot of ancient scholars would say, Allahu Alam, that means God knows. Now, a lot of days, people are Google scholars. They think that they know everything, and they say, well, I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to know everything. A lot of people actually have spiritual guides that help them through this space. And if you look at a lot of traditional Islamic societies, you know, including Turkey, I, I don't know how it is exactly now, but Tur Turkey before had this and South Asia, a lot of people had spiritual guides that would help them understand this. It was not just, I'm reading the book, and now I can be the expert. So, I think Sure, but a uh, good example, Turkey. I mean, Turkey had the Ottoman Empire, which was uh, overthrown 
violently <laughs> and forcibly by the secularists who got rid of Islamic law and who abolished the caliphate and installed secularism. But prior to that, the, the Ottoman Empire had a very clearly stated goal of, uh, of conquering the world and uh, becoming the... The, the the ruler of the worlds uh, it is even referred to they they refer, the ottomans referred to their to their empire as um as 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 the uh jihan as the world's empire or the ruler of the world or so, so, something translating to something along along those lines so they had this stated mission to conquer the world and to uh spread the uh, the, the banner of islam to 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 put it everywhere uh and to be to basically make islam make the prophet proud and uh and that doesn't just come out of thin air that is something that has been in islamic history throughout throughout islamic history that's the abbasid caliphate the umayyad caliphate the first uh, caliphs the uh, muhammad himself if we look at the sources he himself said if we if we are to trust the most authentic um, sources he himself said that he has been commanded to fight the disbelievers until or to fight the people until they say none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. I definitely, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. I definitely think there is an element of that that exists within the Muslim world. I wouldn't say it's completely that way. I would say Islam spread not only through the sword. There were aspects of that. But there were also like mystics like South Asia. That's how Islam spread through South Asia. Like that's just a fact. They were mystics that came. But now people had there's a kind of there was a reformation with islam the salafi movement which became very literalistic oriented would say ancient muslims really wouldn't have taken that position if we look at you know traditional scholars um and i would say that it's important to kind of see that there there's nuance and, and diversity yes there's elements of this i'm not going to deny that I mean, um, when you, you you say that these are that these are uh, attitudes that are that recently emerged and that that older scholars would not take these positions, but I cannot really think of um, of, of an example for that because when you look at the at the early history of Islam, uh, when it comes to jurisprudence, or I mean, I gave you an example of of, of Ibn Khaldun, who clearly, as if it was a completely normal thing in his time, because it is a normal thing, says that it is the Muslim obligation and mission to fight and to spread Islam by uh, by, by force or by, you know, willingly or by force. Uh, then you have the you have the scholars, I have several of, the, of their of their books over here, uh, the scholars of the of the four um, schools of theology, who vastly still believed in uh, violent rules, violent laws, and spreading Islam through war. I mean, th these are not isolated cases. The the, the thing that these uh, traditionalists or revivalists, Salafis, did was just to go back to a very literal interpretation of certain scholars like uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and others, and uh, and to then have an incredibly intolerant, fundamentalist, uh, literalist version of what they said, but essentially they still believe in the very same thing that Islamic scholars believed since Muhammad, that they are supposed to rule by the sword, spread by the sword, uh, if it doesn't work peacefully, that they are supposed to execute those who leave Islam, and so on. I agree, Islam spread here and there through peace, but that doesn't negate the fact that Islam also probably mostly spread through war. Um, yeah, I, d I definitely hear 
I'm not sure about most, but I would definitely say I have to agree that there was violence. Like the East African slave trade is an extremely problematic element within Islamic history. We can't deny that that's not there. And a lot of people don't know about it. And I think this is the thing that I think is important in these conversations. We have to be accountable. There is problems within the Muslim community. I can't say Muslims are just peaceful, wonderful, law-abiding. You wouldn't have Joker Zarnayev. You wouldn't have al-Baghdadi. There, there is a problematic element. And I think this is why we have to have conversations and come together to kind of go towards a peaceful interpretation. I definitely understand that if we take, I don't know if I would say all the scholars were like, yes, let's subjugate. Like, as I think of like, let's take Umar ibn al-Khattab, who has this problematic elements, like particularly with his son and, you know, you giving the hudud, basically, you know, he his son drank alcohol and he got punished and he died from the result of it, which is deeply problematic. He also, honestly, went into Jerusalem and it was, historic, historians would say, relatively peaceful. He didn't like slaughter. He did bring Jews back into Jerusalem. So, I mean, I think that this is an important thing to understand. Was there imperialism? Yes. I'm not going to deny that. There was Islamic imperialism. And I've, it's problematic for me. It's not an easy thing to deal with. I don't, I'm a very anti-imperialist. I don't think imperialism is good at all or manifest destiny. I think these are very problematic spaces. And it does happen within the Islamic community. And I would say there are textual sources that would support that as well. But I would also say that Islam is complex in its nuance. So I think there are spaces that that doesn't happen. So I think that that... We have to look, I would say we have to look at at Islam in a complex way and say there are these negative things and there are also positive things. That's where I come to it. It sounds like you mostly agree with me here, so I don't know why we're debating. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely agree on a lot of these things. I think it's super important. The only thing that I just don't think is that I don't think we should just like discard Islam completely. I think there is something good there. I think there's value in Islam and I think it's within society. All right, so I have to, um, I do have to tackle one thing that you that you said at the very beginning of your of your opening spe- of your opening speech, which is um, you made the claim that uh, that I have to get rid of the friendliness now uh, quickly and, and and attack again. But <laughs> you said uh, you said that Islam means peace. That's not true. I have to. I will contest that very quickly. Islam means submission, literally. Uh, it comes from the Islam means submission, and submission and peace come from the same root word, which in Arabic works as you know the uh, three letters S L M. Uh, it can develop into peace or into uh, submission, but to, but to say that uh, that Islam means peace just because they share the same root word, or to say it means peace because you know, but why why else would it have the same root word? It, that's that's like saying. Um, dictating and dictator are the same thing because they come from the same root word or combustion and uh, combining are the same thing because they come from the same root word or I don't know uh, collecting and collision are the same thing because they come from the same root word I mean that's obviously not true that's not how it works so yeah I totally hear that. That's why I put submission of a, of a lot first. I put peace because that's I was making sure I was like you know navigating to see a lot of people take that as a secondary definition. That's why I didn't put it primarily. I am aware that the primary definition is sufficient to Allah. However, contextually, a lot of folks also give that secondary secondary definition of some. I didn't really hold on to that point because I'm like, I know that that's not 
a huge ground I could stand on. I think it's a it's an extremely weak ground to stand on because um, I think there's there's like virtually no truth to the idea that Islam means peace. Um, you could say, I mean, I, I understand. Look, if, if you think about etymology, if you think about how words develop, you could understand that uh, submission and peace uh, have something in common. They come from the same root word. And, and you can see how they relate somehow. You know, you can, uh, you can in peace, submit. Uh, but again, um, there is another example, which is, I think, a very, very interesting one. The word hostile and the word hospitality. Which are wildly different. You know, one is about one is about uh, you know hosting others in a very nice way. The other is being being an enemy. But both of those words come from the root word host, uh, which refers to strangers. But the, the the two words are completely different things. So I think it would be um, unfair, and it wouldn't be accurate and a a, a, a very uh, good and conv convincing way to approach the discussion by saying that Islam means peace because of the root word. And I hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, that's why I didn't hold to that. And I could say it could be submission through peace. And this, this is the problem with the semantics. Like, it really depends on the arbiter. The thing is, it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Star Wars, but I think of like the Jedi religion. And in Jedi religion, you have like the positive Jedis, you have like gray Jedis and you have the Sith. This is the continuum. And this is kind of how I would see a lot of Muslims in the same space. You could be a good person. And then when you take that force, it could be positive. And if you're a negative person, you're going to make it negative. I think that's usually how it works in general. Yeah. <laughs> I would disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I see. I see. I see your point. Uh, interesting reference, but I, I would say um, I would say you could put an effort into really depicting Islam as something that can be taken and and turned into a very uh, wonderful and beautiful thing. But um, compare Islam to Buddhism, for example, or compare Islam to Jainism. I would personally think I personally have my reservations about Jainism because I think it, it is uh, a very dysfunctional way of living although it is incredibly peaceful probably the most peaceful um religious belief out there buddhism also is a very is a very peaceful one and you could take buddhism and become incredibly peaceful and detach yourself from all kinds of hostilities and all that with islam it is simply not possible to do that with islam even if you personally if you personally go on a on a on a journey and i was there when i was a muslim i was uh, mostly spiritual i was i was uh, i was in sufism and i focused mostly on my inner spiritual struggle instead of uh, other stuff but that doesn't change the fact that outside of us, who try to just focus on their inner selves, there is a religious community which relies on a religious tradition, which relies on a religious uh, scripture. And that scripture is the problem because that scripture gives people the idea that the disbelievers are less than animal and that they are that they are the enemy, that they cannot be trusted, that you are supposed to fight them. So it's very it's 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 a it's a nice effort, but I don't think it is possible to go anywhere with that. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up that verse, the Hyrobariya, the Shadobariya, the good creatures and the, the evil creatures. I think what's interesting about the Quran, and I think really just any spiritual text, this is why I would never argue, is Islam scientific? I think that that's a lost cause. I would never argue that topic ever. Um, because 
I don't really feel that the Quran, the Quran functions as a scientific text. Neither do I think the Tanakh or the Evangelion. I don't see these scriptures or, you know, Bhagavad Gita, Mahabharata, all of these texts. I don't really, these scriptures, I don't feel that they do that job. So it's really hard when we read the Quran, it's pretty open to interpretation. That's why a lot of like Ahlus Sunnah Jama'ah, which where you mentioned the scholars, like the four scholars are primarily Sunni. So they use these interpretations, they use tafsir, they use a hadith, they use all these other corpuses to understand the material. Because if we read the Quran at, just as a text of itself, it's pretty vague. It's not really very literal in a sense that we can understand it by itself. I wouldn't say that. I mean, how can you possibly interpret, for example, uh, chapter 9, verse 29, which is what I like to cite a lot as an example, which is the one that says, fight those who do not believe in Allah with the last day or this and that. Fight until they pay the jizya willingly or or by, or by uh, until, they pay, until they pay the jizya willingly. And within context, it then goes on to describe the, the Jews and Christians as totally deluded and may Allah destroy them. Then further it says they take their priests as gods and things like that. So it, it seems to be a pretty clear command to fight those who don't accept Islam. And uh, the Islamic scholars, the earliest to the most recent, have generally understood it as such a command, which is why they fought. Well, this is an interesting question because you had brought up, you had mentioned Ezra as the son of God. So this is an interesting thing. What do Muslims know about Jews? I think this is an interesting question. There's not even a word Christian in the Quran. There's a word called Nasr, helper of, basically it's like a helper of Christ. So it's an interesting thing. What does Islam view a Jew to be or what a Christian is? This, it's a hard thing to say. I don't really know for sure, because it's like maybe it's Arabian Christians and Arabian Jews that fit into that context. It's not maybe it's not this global perspective. And then what these some folks do is they do put it on a macro level when it's really at a micro level. I think that's important to consider as well. I think it's pretty clear because the Quran, um, I mean, it, it says even then in, the, in that context in, in chapter nine, verse 30, it specifically says it's Christians uh, say the Messiah is the son of Allah or the son of God. So it refers to the Christians uh, who believe in the who believe in the divinity of, of Jesus as the son of God. It refers to them. And those Christians have been the vast majority of Christians throughout history and are still today. So that they were probably like, um, I don't know very small minorities of Christians who uh, had different inter interpretations of those uh, two ideas, but it has been the standard uh, majority Christian belief from the beginning of Christianity to, to the current. So when the Quran says the Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah, then it's, it, is, it is very clearly referring to Christians as we know them. We do re know that Christians in general, like how they were mentioned in the Quran, well, because it's not really that word Christian again, but um, it kind of people take it to mean that. But the thing is that um, what did they say about the Trinity? The Trinity isn't really the traditional Trinity that I would say your standard Christian believes in, you know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's not the Trinity that's discussed. So I think that that's an interesting thing to consider. It, it mentions the Virgin Mary. So it's like. This is something that Before we, we go to too far. Right. Don't get me wrong. I like giving you guys the flexibility and the freedom to explore at the same time, just to bring us back more centrally to whether or not Islam is violent. 
one particular passage, I can't remember if it was explored already, but one that you maybe disagree on. I'm not sure you guys can tell me, but Surah 9, if I understand right, is it fair to say that Surah 9 is kind of like the classic objection to the Quran? And like you could say maybe like the primary or priority objection that Quite critics of the Quran use against? The that, that's, what we're talk, that's what we're talking about yeah the we we're talking about specifically about this about the ninth chapter of the quran okay sorry uh, about that. go ahead where it talks about christians right. yeah and it's an interesting thing too because this is the interesting question the quran has many different verses there are difficult verses like this i am not going to deny that this is not a, that, that this is a difficult verse that a muslim has to wrestle with this is not an easy thing also, I would say, you know, the Quran also says, La yes, I know people could say, well, that was before, that's after. But if it's in the entire corpus, then I would say, if we're taking the Quran as a whole, then we have to take both verses on value. You could say, oh, yes, that came later. But I'm like, well, then it shouldn't be recorded at all. We should just put a line through it and say it's not valid anymore. I think that that would be appropriate if the verse is invalid. So, you know. but what, but we are specifically talking about whether the Quran is violent or not. And when it says uh, that 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 the Muslims are to fight those who do not believe, uh, it is first of making a very general and very vague statement about those who do not accept Islam, because it it says those who don't believe in Allah or the Messenger or the Last Day, and who do not uh, accept the religion of truth. Um, Know, from among those who, uh, who who believe in the scripture, so Jews and Christians, if they don't accept Islam, they are to be fought. And it then further uh, rationalizes that by saying uh, that Christians believe, Christians say that uh, that the Messiah is the son of Allah. So from there, in the context, the context considered, it, what, what it clearly says there, and there has been very little disagreement about this in the, in the history of Islam among the exegetes, is that Muslims uh, are to fight those Christians who believe that the Messiah is the Son of God. And those Christians are the majority of Christians. Those Christians were the Christians in, in this time. Those Christians are everywhere <laughs> around me. And uh, it, it doesn't really matter whether, whether, they, um, whether they have a different interpretation or understanding of the Trinity or not. Um, and that's a completely different problem on but its own. I, I would say it's an interesting question, though, because what do Muslims know about Christians? Do we have any manuscripts that are even from the Christian Jewish populations that were there? We don't really have any data on this. Like, I think this is an important thing. Like, what is being talked about? Like, yes, that that you're right, that kind of narrative of Messiah, you could say, okay, that means that. But there are so many different kinds of Christians. Like, I mean... Some might argue Arianists and Doetists were Christians, but the larger Christian community said they were heretics. But, you know, some might argue that those people are Christian, too. And some people might argue that in Arabia, that was just a Christian heresy that existed. I don't know. I'm just saying it's hard to say that we that with these scriptures and going to your point about is this violent? It, it's hard to it's hard to understand if this command is a timeless command. Is this contextual in the space? You have to understand what we're looking at here. Like if we were to make Islam a story, we're making it into a narrative. We'd say, well, it's about this kind of ragtag group of people that were in a very oppressive space where their faith, believing in the one God, the monotheistic God, you know, the one one God was challenging all the other gods and their whole life was on the line. So maybe they had to take a very strong stance so they could protect and their community could survive. That's just like, if we're taking like, you know, a, a humanistic kind of point of view, 
that could be a perception on that. I feel like we are uh, kind of walking away from the topic, though, because um, so when we talk about the Christians again, uh, you, you say we don't know what the Christians in uh, the time of or in the surrounding of Muhammad believed in. Now, uh, one important thing to remember is that um, that it is often pointed out in the exegesis, uh, even by Ibn Kathir and by others, that uh, the chapter 9, verse 29 and 30 were revealed at the time of uh, a possible confrontation with the Byzantine Romans, so with the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Christians, who uh, believed that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Messiah. And it does say very specifically they say the Messiah is the Son of God. And I want to ask you, do Christians today, does the average Christian today that uh, believe that the Messiah or Jesus is the Son of God? Sure. Yes. Yeah, I would yeah. say most Christians are Trinitarian, of course. Yes. Very few so, are Unitarian. Yeah, I agree with that. So, so therefore, therefore, you, you can um, understand that when the Quran says Christians say the Messiah is the Son of Allah, those Christians today that are around us, the majority of Christians, the average Christian, would be included in that description. See, the thing is, it depends on how we look at this verse. Maybe we could take the interpretation of what you said. Maybe this verse is talking about that specific conflict. That is a possibility. And I think a lot of religious scriptures, like if I take the Bhagavad Gita and I discuss the story of uh, Arjuna and he's having to battle his gurus, and he has to have bhakti, he has to have devotion to his, uh, to his guru Krishna, would I say that all people who practice the Vedas and follow Advaita Vedanta or, you know, you know, the Vedic scripture, would that mean that they need to follow this? I think so. I think a lot of things are contextual. So no, I would take this I... contextual space. Because I think I think the difference here is that the Bhagavad Gita uh, like uh, clearly tells you a story of how things happened. It is not uh, literally the author revealing something to you and giving you a command. Whereas the Quran has a completely different different nature, a different makeup, and different authorship. Where the Quran is supposed to be the word of Allah, which directly speaks to you, to the reader, when you open it from the beginning to the end, except when it says to Muhammad, uh, "Oh Muhammad," or "Oh." whatever and uh when, when you then read a command in the in the quran it is understood to be a command to to you and there is no when we talk about that specific those specific verses for example of uh, fighting the disbelievers it doesn't say this was commanded to those it is just uh, it is just a command like any other in the quran well i think it's interesting when we read the quran it's like to me it's like it's this kind of spiritual continuity. You have these narratives and these stories that are told through it and kind of experiences that are going on throughout the space. And I think it's I really love that you brought that point up where you're like, this is when the Byzantine situation was occurring. Yeah. So, of course, a narrative is going to come. The same thing with um, Surah Al-Lahab. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one where it says, perished are the two hands of Abu Lahab. What does that mean? Who's Abu Lahab? We have no idea who this guy is. But the idea, until you kind of go back into the story, but contextually, it makes sense. Abu Lahab was a very problematic person within the Islamic history, within the Islamic narrative. So it makes sense that this narrative occurs. So I think there could be different interpretation, different layers of the text. So it's interesting that you mentioned that you were on the Sufi path, right? And I think in Tasawuf, that's a big point that there's multiple layers of spirituality. There isn't just the surface level. This is why the Salafis and Sufis have a lot of conflict, because the Sufi says, okay, 
Yes, there's the Quran, but there's a deeper meaning of the Quran. The Salafi says, what you see is what you get. And that's a huge conflict. You're going to have a big battle with that. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, uh, that is a, a difference on the spiritual level. But um, the issue here is, from Ottoman history, we know that every Ottoman ruler was a Sufi in a way. Sure. The Ottoman rulers had, had their own spiritual guides. They were not uh, these hardcore traditionalist literalist guys. They were actually spiritualist people and also basically propagated the idea of following spiritual guides. But as you can see, they were for many centuries the leaders of... Uh, war in order to spread Islam and to spread their empire. So obviously the spiritual the, the spiritualism, the focus on spiritualism does not negate or get rid of the aspect of violence and war. So I would ask a question. Would you say they were spreading Islam or were they spreading empire? Because I don't think Muslims ever really spread Islam. Only really mystics did. Because basically they didn't want people to become Muslim because then you wouldn't get all the kind of privileges of being a Muslim. Like, I agree that the Dimi thing has problems, but it actually has that too, is that they didn't just want everyone to become a Muslim, you know, because then not everyone gets equal status, right? That's actually a good point to bring up, but I don't think that that really helps your point, to be honest. But I have a book here, which is uh, Arabia and the Arabs by Robert uh, Hoyland. He wrote specifically about that. He writes about um, the early Islamic conquests, how they, how the conquests started, how they continued, and all of that. And what he points out is that, um, is that contrary to popular opinion, the early spread of Islam uh, did not happen in form of uh, the Muslims saying, all right, we have to now go and convert the world to Islam and we will give them these options and we will say, come to Islam or not. No, what, what, happened on the, what, happened, what actually happened is that Islam was divided into Arab tribes which went out there and fought and they didn't care about spreading Islam. They cared about, uh, about conquering, about pillaging, about this and that. And only later after conquering, then introduced Islam to people. And he points out that for the first centuries and the first periods, they, they really didn't put much effort into uh, converting the populations which they conquered to Islam because to them, as you just pointed out accurately, um, disbelievers were a source of income <laughs> disbelievers were a source of um they they fight them they take their belongings they use them they enslave them they do this and that with them they turn them into into uh into the dimmi people so it wasn't really in their best interest to just convert everybody to islam that idea only uh became more popular after the centuries where, where they realized that they are supposed to focus more on the on the, on the spiritual the theological aspect of islam and so that's the thing. It's like a double-edged sword. So that's the thing. I, I understand that the problematic element, I'm not saying that there isn't a problematic element of spreading empire. Like I said before, I'm an anti-imperialist. I don't, if Muslim people did imperialism, I'm against it. I don't think it was correct. I don't think it's noble. According to my own ethical value system, I don't think it's a noble thing. I don't think anyone should do any imperialism at all. I think it's a very problematic thing. And it did occur within um, the Islamic tradition as many spaces have there are religious movements that have done that you know where they are saying we need to spread and we need to conquer and we need stuff and this is i would say is a human problem would i say this is just solely in islam creating this problem i would say no and i'm like i think of manifest destiny into america where europeans came to america and did manifest destiny do i think this came from christ no i i think people may have taken the text 
and use the text to to do stuff like, you know, for example, the transatlantic slave trade in America, they used Philemon, they used the Pauline narrative of him, you know, not completely, you know, saying let's get rid of slavery, which is another element that we see within Islam. There isn't a complete, ob, you know, abolition of slavery, but we it, it, there it isn't either in the New Testament, which I think doesn't mean that the New Testament is wrong or the New Testament's invalid or or I mean the the Imagalian, the 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 scriptures, uh, the Christian scriptures, as well as the Quran. I think you're going to have problematic elements, and that doesn't mean we should throw everything away from it. I think we have to differentiate there because um, what you're describing is something that happens uh, throughout religions, throughout ideologies. We have uh, Muslims in history who um, justified all kinds of different things based on their religious uh, religious uh, beliefs and religious scriptures. They justified peaceful. Uh, regressive, progressive, uh, hostile, violent things, all kinds of different things. Uh, the Christians, for example, you speak of the transatlantic slave trade, lots of Christians um, used the Bible in order to argue that slavery is fundamentally wrong because it goes against the, the whole concept of the equality of uh, man who is created in the image of God. Um, people during the Enlightenment, uh, people in in proposition of liberalism argued from Christianity in that uh, it is a Christian value that people should be all uh, united and should be all equal and the same and all of that. Uh, those are entirely different things. The difference here is that uh, in the Quran, with the Quran, we have a book which specifically commands Muslims to do certain things. And it is unique in the way that this is a book which is claimed to be the direct word of Allah. Uh, giving commands directly to all believers. Muslims, therefore, based on those uh, on those commands, go out and do certain things. Now, um, I don't think we can really compare that to uh, people inferring certain things and then you know coming up with different ideas like slavery is justified or slavery is not justified because the book says this and that. We have clear commands. I, I want to ask you this question. Um, you said you are against imperialism. And you are against expansion and, and violence and all of that. But I'm pretty sure we can establish, and I'm pretty sure you can agree with me there, that Muhammad himself was expansionist and imperialist, that Muhammad himself fought, and that Muhammad himself um, advocated for expansion and violence where it was done. We have several examples where he says he's been commanded to fight, where he says, kill those who leave. And where he says, when you encounter the enemy, give them several options, including convert, die, or be enslaved. So are you also against Muhammad's imperialism and expansionism? So I take the position, I'm a consistent person. I don't, anyone who does imperialism, I'm not for it. But I would say for this, I would say it's important to realize contextualism. So I'm like, in this situation that this occurred, there was a certain kind of situation that was going on. And it was a kind I think this is what a lot of religious communities do. And I do kind of slightly disagree. I, I think it's interesting to argue that the Quran is like just this divine command theory. I don't think all Muslims take that position. I think what, how Muslims take the Quran in general, and my understanding of looking at Muslims, Muslims take the Quran in different ways. A lot of Muslims, they open the Quran to look for wisdom. They're not looking to say, I need to go do this type of thing. I'm going to tell you what I think personally on this. All the really extreme, violent people within the Muslim community 
come from one subsect. They're not Sufi people who are going around blowing themselves up. They're, these aren't Sufis who are doing this. These people are from a, not just Salafi, but the extreme form of Salafism, where they're like, you know what? I And a lot of them like take the Zarnaev brothers. They lived kind of pretty trashy lives. They felt really bad about what they did. So what they did is they said, I need to be good. So I am going to do this thing because that's going to make me good. And the thing is, did they really take a time for a journey? Did they say, I'm going to do self-critique of myself? Do Like you were talking about in your own Sufi journey, you had to do like your own self-purification. That's, that is a position within Islam that there's a lot, instead of just outward violence, there's the energy jihad. You can take, for example, Sheikh Ahmed Dubamba from West Africa, Senegal. What did he do? Did he take a sword and say, I am going to fight these French? No, he did pretty much, and a lot of people don't even know who he is, but it, what he did is he rebelled against the French using peace. And it's pretty well documented. Senegal is a pretty peaceful country. Does it have its problems? Yeah, there's a lot of economic deprivation, sure. But, you know, West African mysticism, it's pretty pretty clear. And this is a person who had very, was very religious, Hafiz al-Quran. He didn't think he needed to kill the French colonizers. So I think it's important to consider. That's all very nice, and I really like your, I really like your uh, your idea of being peaceful and spreading peace and rejecting the violence and imperialism and so on. But I don't think you have, um, I don't think you have a chance of doing anything there, since the dominant attitude in Islam is not the one that you propose. Although I wish it was, but as you have also just acknowledged, and I think the debate is there, kind of over. With all due respect, uh, Muhammad himself was the imperialist. Muhammad himself was the expansionist. He himself was the one who began the violence. And I don't think there's any way out of out of that. Islam starts with the with the violence, and that is how it is established. That is why it continues this way. That is why your efforts of creating a a, a peaceful Islam will fail and the violent and hostile and hateful ones will always be around that's the problem i would ask a question though do you think that i would i totally acknowledge and i will totally agree that there's violence within islamic narrative there is an element of that as there is within that's just a human issue but i would say if we look at the story of islam it didn't really just start as a violent situation it was basically you had this kind of spiritual guy who goes to a mountain, has this revelation, then he comes to this community and he goes in dark and he secretly talks about this one God and ancient prophets and kind of is this sort of guru and swami and sheikh that's conveying this narrative. I mean, if I thought, if Islam really did, as you said, start off this violent thing, why wouldn't he just get this sword of God to come, this light sword, like a lightsaber, and come and just say, all you indigenous Arabs who believe in all the, these gods, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to slice you up. I mean, I would think that why even have a pretense of peace? That's that's I a th- question I would think we need to I think into. the answer to that is very simple. It is because there was no actual Allah, no actual uh, connection to God. That he was just some guy who was pretending to be or who thought he was a prophet or who thought he was a prophet of God. So how can he get a... <laughs> how can he... <laughs> How can he get the power of something that does not exist? I think he just influenced people in an environment where people were easily influenced by such things. And what's also interesting is he starts his mission and tells people, your gods are fake. My God is real. 
and they don't kill him. They don't persecute him. They don't, uh, they don't lock him up. He lives there for a very long time, a very long time. For over a decade, he lives there, and they let him live. He uh, eventually, supposedly, there is some persecution. Up until that point, he is the first one who actually says that, um, uh, I can't remember the, the exact words, but he is the one who actually initiates a phrase where he says that he has brought war or animosity or the spilling of blood or something like that to them to which they don't respond very nicely of course and after a long time of living there peacefully uh persecution begins he flees then they leave him alone where he's in medina but he comes up with the brilliant idea of creating small groups and harassing caravans and then in the end he provokes a war which is called a defensive war, which is actually not a defensive war, because he provokes those polytheists who then finally say, okay, enough. We're going and we are, uh, we, we are destroying Muhammad and his people. And that's how the, the wars begin. I think it is just... <laughs> there was no need for the violence. Muhammad himself brought it. Yeah, I this definitely that time... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a chance. I'll give you the last word, in fact, Aisa. And then okay. it'll be a great opportunity to go into the Q&A. If folks, if you have questions, feel free to submit them either by tagging me with that modern day debate in the live chat, or if you use the super chat, we read through those first. Go ahead, Isa. I just want to say to Shekhoradaram to my colleague here. I think that that's important. <laughs> but um, that, that means thank you in Turkish. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. And, and I want to say that I totally... I, I, I hear that. I definitely think, and it's interesting how stories can be told. I was thinking about this Kurosawa movie. I don't know if you've seen Kurosawa. It's very, very solid stuff. There's a movie called Rashomon. And we have people who tell different stories from different angles. And that, and there's kind of truth to all these different angles of the story. So I'm like, we could view that. We could view that this was some really terrible situation. Or you could take the narrative of like Arisala or The Message. You probably have seen that movie growing up. You know, the movie with the, the message of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, mm -hmm. you know, where they have the actors and you can't see them. And it looks sort of like uh, yeah. Ten Commandments. It's that kind of movie. It's like the Islamic Ten Commandments. But like, you Just know, you have... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you go are ahead. me, man. But, uh, <laughs> but I would say that there are different stories and there are different narratives. And I think we should just be open to different spaces and I think try to be as inclusive as we can. That's what I... All right. You got it. We'll jump into the Q&A. I want to say thanks so much for your questions, folks. A couple of quick housekeeping type things. In particular, my dear friends, if you enjoy these debates, you probably have a friend who enjoys them. Share this debate with them. That way you can share the joy, experience it, express the joy of like, oh, that was fun, wasn't it? With that, we're going to jump right into these questions. First one coming in. Mustafa Job says, mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Loki says this Isa guy has to be trolling. You know, Isa, I think that you take a more moderate approach. A lot of our viewers are used to more, I wouldn't say extreme, but more, what's the word I'm looking for? Between moderate and extreme, whatever that might be. So I think they're just surprised by your approach. Yeah, this I think from, definitely more progressive. Um, you could say moderate liberal. I would say 
definitely I'd taken that position. And that's actually the reason why I came on the show, why I wanted to do this. I'm like, I am tired of this. Like, that's so disrespectful. Like, there's like, uh, AP, you're full of crap. I'm just like, excuse me, this is not a way to talk to someone. You can disagree about points, but and they said, you, I, when I see you, I'm going to beat you up. I'm like, what the heck is this? This is not. This is not even a proper debate. You have to engage with the points, and you have to be accountable. And I'm trying. It's it's difficult. AP is bringing up hard points. I'm not going to be like this is easy, you know. Thank you. I, I really I really appreciate that, and I, I want to point out that that's um, I'm really relieved, and I, I genuinely do appreciate that. So. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I Indeed. hope we have more such peaceful and friendly discussions. This one from Stop Scamming Man says, question to the Muslim gentleman. Isa says, the caliphate only abolished slavery in its final year when the secularists took all the power and forced it to. In your estimation, when, if ever, should it have? Well, obviously, you're probably going to know what my understanding is. I, I think enslavement of human beings is evil and it's an abomination. So that's, I'm going to take that position clearly and easily. And I definitely think, textually speaking, these are very difficult things. And it's interesting to talk about the caliphate because there are multiple caliphates. That's actually a funny thing people don't know about. You have the, the Ottoman caliphate. You also have one in Morocco, too. The guy still says he's the caliph. They said he, there is a caliphate in Morocco, if people don't know that, but it's kind of funny to see that. I definitely think it should be easily abolished, and, I, and I'm sad that in a lot of these religious spaces, it, it wasn't. I think there should have been clear injunction. That's just my humble opinion. This one from Lion Jr. says, for apostate, can he recite the Quran from memory? Uh, is that a challenge again? I'm so sick of this, man. Uh, <laughs> this one from. Uh, do you mind if I jump I, in? I, I, I want to I can, jump I can, in. I can. I can. I can do that. I'll just recite the the first the first chapter, which is Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin Rahman Rahim Maliki Yom Din Iya Kanabudu Iya Kanastayin Ichtina Surah Al Mustaqim Surah Al Ladin Al Alim Wa Al Malubi Alim Wa Al Dalim And then a Muslim would say Amin. So I hope that's good. I, I I wanted to add to that point. This is like a weird, it's this gatekeeping. It's so bad. I heard that happen with ex-Muslims and I hate when like these like really, I would say like fascistic type people who are saying they're Muslim do. They say, well, do you know how to read Quran? And you don't know how to read Quran? Oh my God, you are not real Muslim. I'm like, like Muslims in Eastern Europe don't know any Islam at all. Are they not Muslim? It's, I hate it. Yes, you were a real Muslim, and it was not for you. That's it. And you have every right not Thank to you. be a Muslim. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate it. This one's actually for you again. Apostate probably say, do you think religion is the central cause for violence? No, I don't think so. Um, so I, I, generally, I don't think religion in general, is a central cause for violence. I think I think human nature is a central cause for violence. Human struggle, uh, the human condition, the way humans interact in society. When it comes to Islam, I would say Islam is at the center of the violence within Islam, just because Islam happens to be the origin of whatever Islam preaches, because that's where the scripture is. But no, not about not about religion. This one from for Isa says, "I think that you're an ex-Muslim and in denial." <laughs> this one from that's cute that's cute khaled Doss says sorry you did this isa 
Wouldn't Islam be closer to the Mandalorian religion than Jedi spirituality? Also, the Knight sisters are clearly Mormons. It's, it's I, I can see that. I can see that argument about like how that could work. I would say that the Jedi religion definitely it's sort of how it's based. It's like a fusion of Buddhism and Islam. And it, it makes sense because in South Asia, that's kind of like this big melting pot of all the different religions. So if you look at like a, a guru like Shirdi Sai Baba, um, a lot of Vedic or Hindu people worship him, but he actually prayed five times a day. So he kind of had a balance of both. So South Asia was very much like that. You got it. Thanks for your membership super chat. Ozzy Gold says, who is your daddy and what does he do? Thank you very much for that support. By the way, folks, we always forget to mention this. We have memberships. If you haven't, check out the memberships. You can click join just below this video. If you are like, nah, I'm not really into that because, you know, YouTube takes 30%, which they do. Patreon is linked in the description box as well. This one coming in from, appreciate your question. Friendly X Muslim says, Isa, you are lovely. Thank you for sharing your views. Wow. You're friendly, friendly ex-Muslim. Ex -Muslim. And I really, and I appreciate you. And I think, you know, wherever your spiritual journey takes you, that's the important thing. Don't let anyone say anything nasty to you and put you down. Shout out to friendly ex-Muslim. Abdullah Samir is doing a great job as well. You got it. We've got an unusually diplomatic night tonight. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. DQ says apostate prophet is there a future for popular Islam in abandoning fundamentalism in favor of a neo-Islam or modern Islamic Sufism? Um, difficult question, difficult to foresee. I mean, uh, people always try to predict what will happen in the future. Uh, nobody really uh, has a realistic um, view because it's very hard to to foresee what is actually going to happen. Um, I think Islam is already changing a lot. The way it is practiced today uh, in many uh, Muslim cultures, cultural Muslims are very detached from what Islam actually teaches and what it preaches. Most Muslims have no idea about what Islam actually teaches, which is great, which is fantastic. Uh, more of that, please. Um, I, I, think, I think progress will necessarily change Islam and will necessarily turn it from fundamentalism and radicalism toward uh, something that is more in accordance with human desires and the human will to simply live in peace. Yeah. You got it. This one coming in from Omir Doc says, Isa, if you go to Muslim countries and say what you are saying right now, you will have the same penalty as Ridvan. I completely get that. I completely understand. And I would say that I, first of all, don't even agree that a Muslim country exists. I think there are countries that have Muslim people in it. And there's actually a great writer. His name's Wail B. Halak. He wrote The Impossible State. And he argues that there, and he's actually a Palestinian Christian. And he argues that there is no such thing as an Islamic state. These are states that have Muslim people in it. So they are basically doing their own thing. Actually, it's funny. Israel is the only real country that actually has a system that is even similar to the, you know, most successful Islamic, um, Islamic dynasty, which is the Ottoman Empire. So there you go. AP, did I say your name right? I think that's the first time I've ever said your name out loud. Did I say it right or no? 
I, th- I think so. I don't. I don't really. I don't really care. Like most people, get it wrong. So I'm. <laughs> well, you're right. <laughs> whatever. You're an angel. Uh, you're an I angel. think. I think it was correct. I think it was correct as far as I remember. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm not sure, but we have another question coming in from Rusty Colon. Says James. Thank you for hosting these debates. I want to say, folks. Thank the guests. They are the lifeblood of the channel. We're grateful to have them. I've got big news. We are setting up DebateCon. I've announced earlier, it's November 4th and 5th, Apostate Prophet, after many years, maybe even decades of me asking him to come, has agreed to come to this debate. That's one person, or I should say to this conference. So keep tuned in for that. But also want to mention, uh, thanks, Rusty Colon, for your support. All credit to the guests. Free Naturalist says, Question for Isa. Do you think Islam will bring peace to the world in the future? That's a good question. Um, and I, it's interesting you mentioned, I want to bring up something too. I'm actually going to become a subscriber today too. So just letting you know that. Um, um, the To answer this kind of question, I think, like I said in the opening speech, Islam is polylithic, it's not monolithic. So I hope the peaceful aspects of Islam will do that. There are negative aspects, and I hope that those do not prevail. And that's that's my position. Nice. nice. You see this one coming in from. Do appreciate it. Before this is for apostate prophet. Can you ask AP about ISIS or etc.? Does he think they are a product of war or a product of religion? And if religion, what religion teaches what they do? Uh, both, um, both. I think they are. They are. I mean, they are a result of of the religion. They follow a very traditionalist and literalist uh, and historical understanding of of their religion. And um, if they were followers of a different religion, they would probably not end up becoming the very groups that they ended up to be that said it is not religion is not the only factor of course i would say that there is definitely an element of reacting to um to geopolitical issues to conflicts around the world and all of that islam yeah you've got it i'm scanning for any last questions rusty said i missed his question so i want to be sure that i got it in addition they said this is another question cheeky shelky Thanks, by the way, folks, for subscribing. Appreciate that. We know that you're a subscriber since I got the subscribers only chat mode on. So we do appreciate your support. Seriously, the the bigger the subscribers number for this channel, the bigger the guests as we continue to grow and expand as we desire to be YouTube's premier debate channel. Modern Day Debate is a fully neutral platform for debates on science, religion, and politics. This one coming in from Cheeky Shaiki says, so both agree that Islam is violent. But would that, but you would maybe say there's a caveat to that. Isa, am I saying Isa right, by the way? Yeah. Do you know what's funny what my name means? It's actually really funny. Tell my me. name means Jesus. My name means Jesus in English. So oh. it's, and my mom's name is Mary. I'm Jesus, son of Mary. So it's a very <laughs> funny irony. Um, wow. But um, the. <laughs> Defending the Muslim position. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah, oh, no do problem. I, or do I agree that Islam is violent? So I'm taking the position that Islam is polylithic. So I say there is a poor part of Islamic understanding that's violent. 
And I would say that there's a part that's not. So I'm basically arguing that Islam as a total is not violent. I cannot say that Islam is just um, peaceful. I wouldn't. I think that's a, a really big lie. And I saw that. That was one of the reasons I'm like, dude, I have to come on the show. Like, we need accountability here. This is ridiculous to say, oh, Islam is perfect, and you know, the more Todd, the apostates are just having a great time, and LGBTQIA Muslims are having a great time. They're not. There's a lot of terrible things that are going on, and I think there should be accountability. And I think we this has to be completely, you know abandoned this 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 terror on other human lives so especially people who come from the muslim community like why would you want to hurt your brothers and sisters who come from your own families like it's it's grotesque and evil i don't know that's very nice thank you i appreciate you got it, it. and ozzy gold thanks for gifting those channel memberships folks if you just got one of those gifted memberships from ozzy gold which it'll show in the chat if you did check out the customized modern day debate emoticons where you usually find the normal emoticons like the smileys, you can call your friends in chat, Soy Boy, and many other names. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ozzy Gold, for your support. And this one coming in from Russ. Oh, I missed this one. Stop scamming man. Thanks for your question. Said question to Issa. Many Muslim polemicists argue that every Muslim on earth is enraged by Quran burnings and Muhammad cartoons. Is this right in your case? Also, do you know other Muslims with your views? Yeah, there's plenty. There's a lot of diverse Muslims. There's a lot of like LGBTQIA plus Muslims. There's a lot of Muslims who don't believe in the Quran literally. There's there's diversity. And I think the problem is, as AP put it, that there is a majority of folks who are deeply problematic. And it's interesting, I was thinking about Christianity too, where People like John, John Brown, Brown, people like Will, Wilberforce fought against the slave trade and they use Christianity to fight against these people who claim to be Christian and say it's okay to enslave other people. I think that's the same thing that Muslim people need to do too. AP, now you got it. This one, appreciate it. Rusty Colon says, Does Isa think that the Hadiths are part of Islam or does he reject their authority? Okay, that's a very interesting question. Um, so the Ahadith, it's a very interesting science. I spent a lot of time actually studying Ahadith. Um, there's like 30,000 Hadith. A lot of people don't know that. And really the only kind of standard of the veracity of Hadith is that the people who narrated them were good people. That's it. it we don't know if the information is true or not. And no scholar can say that. They say, well, these are really good people. And I was going to bring up this is a fun thing. So I like to play some games sometimes. And there's a game that I like called Zelda. And I can memorize most of the maps from this game, right? But there are places where I forget. And I have a pretty good memory. Did people forget information? Did they fill in the blanks? It's possible. We don't know. So do I think the Hadith have a very, there can be very good Hadith and you can take value in that? I'd say, yeah. The hadith that say weird things, I'd say, yeah, I think you want to stay away. Like the camel urine stuff, you want to stay away from that stuff. I'm sorry, you want to stay away from it. Don't drink camel urine, people. Got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Moment says, Isa, do you think that the Quran is perfect? What's perfect mean? I have no idea. How do we prove perfect? Maybe I'm a perfect in my imperfection. What does that, it's like such a weird thing. It's like, you know, everything is perfect. I'm like, you, how can you know perfection if you're not perfect? I don't even know what that means. And then people are like, well, the Quran has been perfectly preserved. And I'm like, 
okay, cool. So yellow pages have been perfectly preserved. What does that have to do with anything? Like this is this is a silly, it's a silly point. The point is if you get wisdom from the Quran and that helps you in your life, that's the point. So it's funny, I'm actually gonna bring up a Protestant point. I think soli fide is the important way to go. If you have faith in it, you have Iman, you have Imuna, this thing is important for you and it helps you uplift you in your life. That's what you should focus on. Forget the science stuff. Forget if it's purely true. This is ridiculous. This doesn't help you in your faith. And I think people trying to argue that, it doesn't help them. You got it. And uh, ES1002 says, James, is that you were reading only Super Chats? No, actually, we do read regular questions, folks. If you tag me with that modern day debate, we've never had a rule that says we only read Super Chats. It's just that sometimes we get so many Super Chats that we have to end it before we can get to the standard questions, because we got to get the debaters out at some time so they can get to sleep. So, but yeah, we've always had that where we are, we do read that. And they also had a question, which is a standard question asking if, where did I see this? It was a reference to Star Wars, whether or not Muhammad is a Sith or Jedi, or we'll go, we'll give you a chance, Isa. Oh, I, I, would, I would hope for Jedi. Let's go for Jedi on that. <laughs> Juicy. I don't want to say Sith. I don't want to say I'm going with Jedi, okay? I would go for a Sith. This one from this is interesting. So <clears throat> Bad Vibes says, Isa, what are your qualifications? Because you are a heretic. I think they're saying you don't really follow Islam, Isa. That's their claim. And I would say to them, why do they follow Islam? What makes them a Muslim? See, this is the problem. You're trying to be a purist and say, well, what makes you a qualification of what, what makes a real Muslim and what doesn't? And that's why I brought up the no trespassing policy. Everybody's going to say it. Someone is going to tell that person they're not a Muslim. There's something in their life that makes them not a Muslim. So it's a ridiculous, foolish statement, in my opinion. You got it. This one coming in. I think that might actually be maybe no tq said isa he's clear, clearly a qui-gon jinn not a sidious that's cute that's interesting what thank you anyone familiar qui-gon with jinn, qui-gon, I, I can tell you who that is qui-gon jinn is the basically one of the protagonists of the phantom menace the from the new the uh the prequels of star wars and he is basically the jedi master jedi knight who like supports uh obi-wan kenobi he's the teacher of obi-wan kenobi um and um he is kind of a positive jedi and then sidious is um basically emperor palpatine if i'm correct he's the right evil Sith lord yeah very True. interesting that's all lost on me but yeah if muhammad I'm is sorry. qui-gon would that mean that ap would be obi-wan he's like his apprentice <laughs> Not really. I'm teasing. Okay, this one coming in from Lion <laughs> Jr. Lion Jr. says, can you ask apostate his knowledge on the Quran? Like how many juz he memorized, yeah. for example? He's talking about Jews. A Jews are yeah, these are partitions of the Quran. Why does that matter? I'm sorry. I can answer that question. Uh, I never, um, when I was a Muslim and when I, um, when I did indeed read to uh, learn to read it. Um, what I did was I only memorized specific chapters and I was going quite slow. I wanted to uh, pronounce it very well because I live in Turkey and in Turkey most people were like terrible at, 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 uh, at reciting and pronouncing the Quran properly. So I wanted to uh, kind of 
pronounce it in the best way. And then I started learning uh, the, the chapters. I learned the last 10, which Muslims are supposed to learn for prayers. And then I learned uh, several other uh, chapters among the last, uh, among the 80s and 90s, uh, those chapters. Plus, I learned Ayatul Kursi, which is uh, one big uh, verse, a very important one. And different places. I never, I never like memorized one uh, juice, for example. I want to interject with this comment too. It's a very strange thing. It's like they're saying we need a pedigree to be a Muslim. You need a pedigree to be an ex-Muslim. This is deeply problematic. It's saying, oh, you need to know how to recite Ayatul Kursi, you know, which is in Surah Al-Baqarah, by the way, at the at the end, which is a huge surah with like hundreds of verses. It's one of the largest surahs in the Quran. most Muslims don't memorize a lot of Quran. And it's interesting because, like, for example, like in Turkish, they, you know, like they might have a pronunciation of like an ooh, like they say, you know, like a head, you know, like they have that kind of. That's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. That's your own culture and that's coming through. And I think it's really sad that, you know, people are trying to push being Arab. It's okay to be whatever ethnicity you are. As a side note, is Robert Spencer a Christian or an atheist? He's a, I think he's a Christian. Christian. Yeah. Okay. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Office Depot says, Isa, are you willing to debate a traditional Muslim such as Daniel who defends violence and the Quran word for word? Yeah, I know yeah, Daniel. I know. I've seen his work. It's You know, he attacks a lot of other Muslims because he says, oh, these Muslims don't fit his standard of truth of Islam. I'm like, that's insane. I'm like, you're trying to be the beacon of Islam, but you're ready to attack anyone who doesn't fit your narrative? That's apostate so, prophets, buddy, you're you talking think? about. Be careful. Yeah. This one coming friend. in from... This, <laughs> let's, this one coming in from Loki says, Isa... we talk about Isa, they, say, they say, Isa is my new favorite ex-Muslim. I don't know <laughs> if they're... There's an interesting before you respond if you want to. There's an interesting <laughs> there's an interesting phenomenon that AP you've seen it a billion times I'm sure in which people like to accuse either they you know if they are non-Muslims they'll say oh you're a non-Muslim and you're you're like one yeah. step away you're so close and then there's also sometimes the Muslims will sometimes say apostate prophet is secretly what is not I don't want to I don't want to say the Muslims some Muslims so I want I want to be fair not all Muslims but some will say AP is secretly they say that you're a they say you believe in God or what is it that they usually accuse you oh, of? Yeah, well, they, 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 all, they often say that I'm a secret Christian, um, um, which is a, which is a rather, a rather recent development. When I first began speaking out, I would frequently be accused of being a Jew, uh, <laughs> uh, but then later it turned into secret Christian. So I don't know. It's, it's, there's always a funny thing going on, funny dynamic. I got used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, always times accusing people either of being like a closeted position Christian atheist. Yeah. Etc. Or you're on the verge of leaving your position. But I'll give you a chance if you want to respond, Isa, to that. Um, I think that it's such a weird thing to say. It's it's actually my whole argument. I'm like I'm against essentialism, where we're like this thing gets diluted into this essence. Like telling a person what it means to be a Christian. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to tell a person 
it, you know, like a person, let's say they do premarital sex or whatever, and you're like, oh, you're not really a Christian because you're having sex before. I'm like, this is insane. If the person sees themselves as a Christian, they're a Christian. You have no right to gatekeep and tell them what they are and what they're not. And I think this is an important thing too, why people like ex-Muslims get attacked. I want to engage that. And they're like, oh, they're Christians and Jews. A lot of ex-Muslims have serious trauma from the Muslim community. Muslims have done really terrible things to ex-Muslims. That's just the fact. And there's a huge tragedy that's going on within the ex-Muslim community. And I'm like, ex-Muslims need to be uplifted and cared for and not be like discarded and said, oh, you were never a real Muslim. How dare you say that? To a person who prayed, did all of these things, there was something that did not work in the religion for them. That's it. Leave it alone. Just be a loving, good human being to them. That's it. You got it. This one coming in from. Oh, wait. There it is. Thank you, Omar. Says there is a period of time where Islam had to expand. Otherwise, it remains confined to a tiny city irrelevant to the world, which rejectors would love to see rather than Rome slash Persia regaining strength. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what that means. Just a comment, a comment, I guess. I guess. <laughs> okay, this one from, appreciate your question. Commoner Knight says, Isa, if everyone in the world abandoned religion tomorrow, would that reduce violence in Islamic countries in the East or increase it? Why or why not? So what so I would what say I is, it really just depends on the Muslim. There are many kinds of Muslims. Like, that's my my consistent point. I think, will people who call themselves Muslim do bad things? Yeah, for sure. They're going to hurt people. They're going to do terrible things to people. I'm not going to say that's not going to happen. Yeah, that will happen. But there, I think there are going to be Muslim people who are like, look, I want to be peaceful. I just want to pray five times a day. I want to read Quran. I want to fast. I want to go to Hajj. That's their life. They don't want to do any of that other stuff. And I think so many Muslims do have that lifestyle. And the way they view the Quran, it's just like it's a book that helps them. They open it up. They read it. And they say, oh, I read Al-Fatiha. How does this help me in my life? They don't see it as like this divine command. And there are people who do. And a lot of those people have serious mental illness. So just you need to add that as well. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, ES1002 says, oh, by the way, folks, if you're in the live chat, I don't know why I've never... Oh, wait, so if you put in, if you tag me with modern day debate, but it's not exactly as the YouTube has it, if YouTube won't highlight it in orange to me. In other words, you have to be sure that you put the hyphen between modern and day. If you just put like at and then modern day debate, no spaces, no hyphens, it, it won't show, YouTube won't highlight it for me. So just if you can't do that, maybe just put like some emojis in there. That'll make it easier for me to see. Because I saw a couple of those. This one from, they say, I assume you think music is halal. Isa, I think this is for you. Yeah, that's yeah, what it sounds like. It depends on the Muslim. I would say that um, Salafi folks would say it's not. Um, there's a lot of Muslim communities that do like, you know, have... You know, zikr, I'm sure AP knows about that. That is music. Reciting Quran is music. I don't know, I get where people are like, well, it's a singing. It's not 
instrumental. I'm like, it's music. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Islam has music. That's it. You know, the entire Muslim recitation is music. So singing is music. So I'm like, if you don't like drums, you don't want to do a flute. All right, whatever. Okay. You got it. This one coming in from Isa Kabir says, how do I get a subscription? Thanks for your super chat, Isa. I think you're the first debater that's ever done a super chat while debating. Uh, if you just want to, you mean subscribe or join the no, channel? I want to subscribe. I want to subscribe. So I didn't want to interrupt with that. I'm just trying to try to get my subscription. How do I do that? <laughs> oh, you just have to subscribe on the channel, man. Is this your first time? I'm, like, not I'm, I'm talking about that paid one, like joining. How do you do your join? Become a member. Oh, yeah, yeah. If yeah, you becoming click, a member. If you click join, it'll be, it should be right below the video. So like around the same space as where it has like the like button or the share button. It should be in that area, and it all it might even depend on if you're on the phone or not. I'm on the phone. That's why I was. That's why how I can do it. I can't do it. Let's try and see what it would look like on the phone. I'm, James, I got to go. Uh, oh, okay. If we are done with the, if you want to be done, I have yeah, to I think that's. I think that's about it, folks. We got to let our guests go. They are busy people. We want to say thank you guys for tuning in. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks for all your questions, folks. Stick around. I'm going to be back in about 22 seconds for the after show to connect with you in the old live chat and say hello. But I want to say thank you most of all to Isa and Apostle Private. It's been a true pleasure to have both of you here tonight. Thanks, thanks everybody. And thank you, thank you, Isa. And thanks, James. My pleasure. Stick around, folks. I'll be back in just a moment. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.